This is The Longest Shortest Time from WNYC. I'm Hillary Frank. A couple episodes ago, I talked to my producer Joanna about her ambivalence over whether or not to become a parent. Her story resonated with a lot of you, and I've been loving all of the emails and comments we've been getting about the many ways that people start families and how the realization that you want to have a kid can just sneak up on you at the most unexpected times. Today, we have a story about a woman who has always known that she wanted to be a mom, but the way she figured out she was ready to actually go for it came as a complete surprise. My name's Elizabeth. My child's name is Sean, and he's um, almost 18 months. Elizabeth is a single mom, single by choice. Uh, Typically called a single mother by choice. So basically being a parent alone and you know that you don't necessarily ever have help. You know, it's just going to be you and the, and the kid and there's not there's not an ex-husband, there's not an ex-partner, an ex-boyfriend who's like going to help out even like an hour a week. It's just you and the child. Becoming a single mother by choice, as you can imagine, is not easy. You've got to figure out where you're going to get your sperm or where to adopt, how to pay for it. Generally, these moms are career women in their late 30s or early 40s. There's actually a group founded in 1981 called Single Mothers by Choice. They call themselves SMCs. It started out with just six women in the founder's living room and now has had 30,000 members worldwide. In this episode, I am so excited to bring you Elizabeth's story and her unusual path to becoming a single mother by choice. Stay with us. Five years ago, Elizabeth was getting ready to go on a trip with her mom. They were flying to France. The day before the flight, she was doing all the usual last-minute stuff. Folding socks, packing travel-sized toiletries. And then, the next morning, there was one more thing to take care of. I took a pregnancy test in the morning um, and, you know, really expected it to be negative. And then it came out positive, and I was so shocked. I almost, like, I essentially, like, fell down to the floor, like, because I was so overwhelmed. Elizabeth was 37 at the time. She'd been dating her boyfriend in kind of a casual way for over a year. They weren't exclusive. But Elizabeth figured the right thing to do was to call him before she got on an airplane. I knew he wouldn't handle it well. And he took a lot of convincing to believe that I was telling him the truth. He just thought I was trying to like mess with him and lie and make like some kind of terrible joke. Um, So finally he believed me. And so the first stuff he said was like very supportive during that phone call and was like, oh, I'll be there for you, whatever you decide, like sort of all the stuff you want someone to say, right? Mm -hmm. But then over the course of the vacation, he and I kept in touch via um, instant messaging on Facebook and he got less and less positive about it and just more and more like, you know, you really have to have an abortion. Like, this is terrible. This is going to change our lives. He, he, you know, did all kinds of like pie in the sky promises like, oh, you know, if you do this, the time is not right. In six months, I'll get you pregnant again. Like, it was so easy to get pregnant this time. Like, don't worry. And he would say terrible things like, oh, if I'm forced to have visitation with the child, I'll say terrible things and be abusive and like verbally abusive. And I was like, well, first of all, like that probably would never be allowed to, you know, actually happen for any length of time. But um, it just was like very heartbreaking, you know. Uh, you know, to think of bringing a child into the world who not only maybe had a parent that wasn't fully present or great emotionally, but to have somebody who was actively rejecting them and, like, mean to them was very difficult for me. I just really didn't want someone to have to suffer through that. And um, I just couldn't I just couldn't imagine doing it alone. Like, it was just, you know, really scary. 
Like, what did you what did you picture when you imagined doing it alone? Yeah, I pictured myself being really overwhelmed. I pictured myself, you know, having to stay in the apartment that I was in. And and I had like a second small bedroom, but the heating didn't work in the second small bedroom. So I was like, well, that can't be the baby's room. Like, it's cold. Like, it doesn't work. And I just thought of, you know, being financially strapped and like being overwhelmed and not having any help. Um, so it was very difficult for me to imagine at that time having a family unit without a father, which is ironic given my current situation. Elizabeth was torn. She was surprised to find she was actually really happy to be pregnant, but it just did not seem right with this guy. Six weeks into the pregnancy, she made an appointment for an abortion. I'm I'm very much pro-choice and always have been, but for me personally, it's not a decision that I ever took lately. And I always thought when I was younger, like, if I ever get pregnant, I'm going to have the child. Like, I'm not comfortable with having an abortion. Like, I'm not, I don't want to do it. Elizabeth's boyfriend offered to go with her, but she told him not to come. She wanted to do this alone. She went to a clinic and took a pill to terminate the pregnancy. And what ended up happening is, like, after I did, you know, the abortion, like, I regretted it immediately. And it was, it was incredibly painful and, like, It took me months and months to get past the guilt and just feeling just like a horrible person for having done it because I was excited. You know, I was really excited about the pregnancy. Like I had already looked at like yoga classes and thinking about like, oh, well, you know, if you're pregnant, you can't do this position or that position. You have to lie on your left side. And like there was just like this little glimmer of excitement in me about the pregnancy, even though he didn't reflect any of it. Despite feeling conflicted, Elizabeth feels she made the best decision for herself, given the circumstances, but it was difficult and painful, which is something that a lot of women experience when having an abortion. I felt the glimmer of excitement about the pregnancy, but I also felt like, what if the child is just like him and like kind of an awful person in certain ways? Like it just, you know, I was imagining a lot of worst case scenarios and it's just not how I was imagining bringing a child into the world. And and so I felt conflicted about it. But, like, at the at the time that I was at the doctor, like, they counseled me to not, like, look at the sonogram and stuff like that. But I did. I wanted to see it. Um, sorry. It was just really hard. I was like, can I just take the pill home and decide later? But they won't let you do that for obvious reasons, you know. You can sell it or use it against somebody or whatever. So you were already afraid you were going to regret it. I think that I would have had, a, you know, some form of regret and a hard time either way. Like if I'd ended up having a hard time and to have to deal with this guy like the rest of my life would have been pretty awful too, you know. Right. But yeah, like after I did it, I realized like, okay, that doesn't bring me back to where I was before at all. Um, bring you back to where you were before? What do you like mean mentally? By that? Like I thought, like okay, well I'll take this and then I'll go back to you know being my usual single self and figure out whether or not I want to ever see this guy again and like you know figure out what I'm going to do with my life. But you don't really go back to that. Like when you go through certain experiences, they just change you forever, and you don't get to go back to where you were before. And you felt changed forever. Absolutely. Like that after that happened and the level of regret and recrimination that I felt, I was like, all right, you know what? Now I'm ready. No matter what happens next time, I don't care, you know, what it is. Um, I'm gonna have the child. Elizabeth says that strangely, terminating this pregnancy is exactly the thing that made her know she wanted to be a mom. Coming up, she'll talk about how she made that happen. Don't go away. You guys. We have got a live event coming up. It's in New York at WNYC's Green Space. 
We're doing this in partnership with the great Modern Mia on October 6th. We are going to be answering your questions about sex. So submit your questions now for our experts. You can even submit questions if you're not attending the event. There are two ways that you can do this. If you have an iPhone, use our Longest Shortest Time app and just click Talk. You can also record a voice memo with your first name and your question and email it to hello at longestshortesttime.com with the subject advice. Now, the last time we did this, we heard from a lot of you saying that we did not address your particular issue in the sack. Well, now's your chance to ask. Don't let this opportunity pass you by. Get your tickets before they're gone. Find the link at longestshortesttime.com under events. We're back. Despite everything, Elizabeth did not break up with her boyfriend after the abortion. She says he helped to take care of her while she was recovering, got her Gatorade. He told her they'd eventually have the life she wanted. They'd get married, have a baby. And, like, I had just turned 39. I was like, listen, it's time. Like, I need to, like, move forward with pregnancy. Like, I'm getting older. And I don't know if it's going to work or not. Um... So he was, like, not sure that he wanted to do it. So I was like, all right, well, I'm going to look at donors and getting pregnant alone. And he's like, okay. Elizabeth started looking for a man to make a baby with, all while still dating her boyfriend, living with him, actually. It was kind of like an open relationship, except instead of having affairs, she was sneaking off to doctor's appointments and clinics. Like, I didn't really talk to him about, like, trying to get pregnant and what what steps I was on, because... I just felt like it wasn't really his business and I didn't want him, I don't know, I just wanted to do it alone and like I just didn't feel like he was going to be a supportive person, essentially. So what was it like? Um, how did you figure out how you were going to become a mom? So I, you know, did a little bit of research. I talked to my um, gynecologist and asked for her recommendation. She gave me the names of three different um, organizations that help with uh efforts to get pregnant on your own, um, all re- basically reproductive endocrinology medical groups, and recommended one in particular and, like, you know, sort of really said, like, this is the one that you, to really try to get if you can. So I called them and tried to make an appointment. I looked at their website, picked out the doctor that I thought looked like the nicest and the most qualified um, and who had, like, expertise in my my. You Did know, you say looked the area. nicest? Yeah, like, looked like the kindest. Yeah. <laughs> How could you tell? <laughs> They had photos, like I know, know. but what looks what looks nice as nice to you? He had kind kind eyes. eyes, Yeah. Elizabeth waited two months to see the doctor with the kind eyes. He put her on something called intrauterine insemination, or IUI. So they literally, you know, have you up like similar to being at a um, at your gynecologist. You're just in stirrups, and they put in a catheter with the sperm, and then you wait and sit there for like five to fifteen minutes, and like you know, hopefully magic happens. What do you think about while while you're waiting? I try to be relaxed. I, I think I probably was checking work emails. No, oh, that, that sounds, those two go together perfectly. <laughs> well, yeah, I know. <laughs> um, how did you, did you pick your sperm donor? I did. And it's, um, it's a very interesting question. And, and I kind of appreciate the hesitancy <laughs> with which you ask it, because I think you understand it's like a fraught question. I've had that question from several different acquaintances slash friends. Usually they're acquaintances who ask me that. And, uh, but yeah, so usually what I do is I say, well, it's kind of like, you know, I could ask you like how you pick your girlfriend or how you pick your boyfriend or how you pick your husband. Like, it's very personal. 
Yeah, but so so I wonder, like, technically, also, do they just do they give you like a whole packet of possibilities? So there's a their website. So I I you mm-hmm. know again here again I asked my then at that time I asked my reproductive reproductive endocrinologist like how do I pick like where do I go and they gave me the names of a few banks but there's one in particular that's you know kind of the largest very well respected so that's the one I went with and to my surprise I learned that only one percent of applicants are accepted to be donors so that gave me kind of confidence it's not just like drunk frat boy walks off the street and wants to like make some money kind of thing you know. By any stretch. Mm-hmm. So they have a th- very thorough vetting process. So they have a website. So it's sort of like a weird, weirdly analogous, like going on Match or OkCupid in that you like, you can type in criteria and be like, I want this or I want that. And like, they'll like bring, bring up results for you. So initially I thought, you know, being biracial, I was like, well, it'd be really cool if I could find somebody who's like the same racial mixture as I am. Elizabeth is half Japanese, half French. But unsurprisingly, that's a very, very small group and so, like, was not particularly helpful. So then the question was, like, all right, you know, what for me personally, I was like, well, what race do I pick? And I've dated, in terms of years, probably mostly Latinos. Elizabeth combed through the donor profiles, thinking, if I were to make a baby with someone I was actually dating, what might our kid look like? Ultimately, she decided she wanted to find a white guy, mainly because her dad is white, and that would mean the baby would look more like her. And this is going to sound kind of weird, but because I was so close to one of my half-brothers when I was young, I was like, oh, you know, I want somebody like tall like him and like similar eye and hair combination. Blue eyes, dark hair. Like I didn't want to pick somebody who's like blonde and Scandinavian and then have the kid come out looking nothing like me. Um, So when I read the profile of the donor I ended up selecting, like it just clicked. Like immediately I knew, like I was like, this is, this is the guy. Like this is the one. Can you tell me what it what it was in in there that drew you to it him? Was, yeah, it was like hearing the description both by the nurses of him, and they have an interview and sort of hearing his motivation for wanting to do it, hearing his voice, and he's also an artist. Oh, you, you can know. listen. You can listen to the interview. Yeah, which oh. which I thought was really nice because you can hear their voice and like you know like most of their women, I like a man with a nice, deep, sonorous voice. So I was happy. You know, unsurprisingly, at 6'2", he's got a deep voice. Um, so, 60. Yeah. 6'2". Oh. So 6'2", not 6'2". Uh, oh, 6'2". <laughs> no, <Okay. laughs> like, no I, that, there is an age requirement. Yeah, you do have to be okay. kind of younger. Um, and, and did he have kind eyes? I, it wasn't as striking as with the reproductive endocrinologist, but he sounded like a kind person. Elizabeth tried a few cycles of IUI. None of them worked. Around that time, she finally got fed up with her boyfriend's lack of enthusiasm about their relationship, and after four years together, she dumped him. Soon after that, she moved on to in vitro fertilization, or IVF, which can be very expensive. For Elizabeth, it cost $15,000. She took out a loan to cover it. Luckily, it worked on the first try. Elizabeth got pregnant with the tall man with the deep voice's sperm, and in the winter of 2014, she gave birth to her baby boy, Sean. A woman that Elizabeth used to tutor joined her at the hospital as her birth partner. Yeah, you you know, I, I, I wonder about like um, in those early days, a lot of times, you know, if there's a partner, people take turns, you know, in an ideal situation. Um, what are the, What are the challenges of not having a partner with you? 
So, yeah, it's busy. So, like, typically we wake up early, um, you know, we, like, cuddle for a little bit and kind of wake up. Like, I'll, you know, play with him a little bit. Then we, like, get him settled for breakfast. And so while he's eating breakfast, I try to eat, like, a power bar while I'm feeding him and, like, getting his stuff ready for the day. Um, and then, you know, I try to get myself ready. I always shower at night so while he's sleeping so I can, you know, because otherwise he'll get upset. It's hard because I haven't experienced having having a partner so sometimes I get like little glimmers of what that would be like like if I'm at a restaurant with a friend and they can hold him while I go to the bathroom that happens to be downstairs so I don't have to take him with me in the carrier like that's a little experience of like oh okay this is so much easier or you know just being able to have like breaks because <laughs> I take you know like a coffee break and stuff like that and I chit chat a little bit at work but like by and large the work is very like go 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 and we have blackberries and we work after hours so it's not um, it's not like a relaxing like phone it in kind of job by any stretch at all Elizabeth works in law um, I had a good friend who asked me about like oh you know when now that you have a child like don't you see that your job is less important because that was her experience and I was like well not really, which I think kind of shocked her. And I was like, because um, I'm really cognizant of the fact that it's our sole income. Like, I need it to protect me and protect him. What are your plans for um, the day when your son starts asking questions about his dad? It's a good question. Um, the, you know, the 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 way that people deal with adoption and this kind of thing now is more to try to weave it in at an in an age-appropriate fashion from the beginning. So, like, there are actually children's books now. I haven't actually bought any yet, but I've been thinking that I need to, that deal with this topic, um, you know. And that's one of the things that struck me when I did meet the founder of The Single Mothers by Choice is she said, like, you know, you t- the story you can tell them is, like, hey, this nice man did this for us and, like, we can – that's why we're here. And, like, obviously, like, a little bit more detail than that, but – I opted to pick a donor who had an a, an open policy as opposed to anonymous. So when my mm. son is 18, the donor is willing to meet him. Not me, but willing to meet him. And, um, like, I'm sure he's going to have moments where he's like, oh, I wish I had another parent to run to or I wish I had a father figure and, you know, where he might get jealous and see other boys or children doing stuff with their um, dads and feel jealous. But, you know, I can hope that one day I'll meet um, – someone who can, you know, complete our family in that way. But I don't have that now. So I'm just going to let him know, you know, like this, like the upside of this is how much you are wanted, like desperately wanted. So like that year and a half between the abortion and when you started looking into uh, finding a donor, um, were you kind of pining to be a mom that whole time? Yeah, I, I knew that I wanted that. Like it it was... It was clear to me and it gave me the courage to do it alone. So again, it's one of those things that was kind of an awful thing to go through, but maybe, you know, maybe I wouldn't be where I am now if I had not gone through it. Um, But yeah, it gave me a certainty like, you know what, I could have done this alone. Like, I can do it alone. Elizabeth's story is only one of many, many stories about figuring out how and when to become a parent. And lots of you have had epiphanies that you don't want to be parents at all. Please keep these stories coming. We want to hear all of the unexpected ways you've figured it out for yourself, or maybe you haven't yet. We want to hear that too. Go to longestshortesttime.com and leave a comment on the post for this episode. That's episode 66. Don't forget also to call in your sex advice questions and buy tickets for the event. 
And one more thing that I know I ask a lot, but if you haven't done this already, please subscribe to our show in iTunes, even if that's not how you listen to podcasts. And while you're there, rate us and write us a review. This podcast is a production of The Longest Shortest Time and WNYC. The show is produced by me, Hilary Frank, and Joanna Solitaroff. Bill Moss mixed the show. Our theme music is by The Batteries Duo. Special thanks to Paula Schumann, Peter Clowney, and Kevin Bristow. I'll be back with a new episode in two weeks at 3 o'clock in the morning. Audience favorite Ellen Ketchkamethi will be back with a new installment of our I've Got News series. Ellen's got two pieces of new news that she's very excited to share with us, so tune in for that. And if you're not going to be up at 3 o'clock in the morning, don't worry. You can hear the podcast at a reasonable time. Just subscribe to our newsletter. Go to our website, enter your email in the little box there, and I'll send you a secret link six hours earlier than the show gets posted. And of course, here at The Longest Shortest Time, we want you on our show. So pitch us. Your story can be anything about your relationship with your kids or your relationship with your parents. Above all, we love to hear things we've never heard before. So surprise us. Go to longestshortesttime.com and submit your story.